0: Okay, great. All right, I'd like to open with a word of prayer. Father, I just thank you for this time to um, present at SEYC. And I know, Lord, that there are many questions that we have. And and if the presentation didn't bring up questions, I know that many came with questions that they already have. Lord, I just want to answer them honestly, and I want to answer them according to your word. And I want to answer them with compassion but also compelling truth, Lord, from your word. And so I pray, Lord, that you will guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the first question that I have is if someone who has engaged in oral sex or masturbation no longer a virgin, like someone who has had um, general intercourse, wow, this is a really great question. The questions are really good. Come on in. I want to read the question again, because now I understand it. Is someone who has engaged in oral sex or masturbation no longer a virgin, like someone who has had uh, genital intercourse? And I think that that's a really interesting question. And I don't know that I have the complete answer on that. Again, I'm a person with experience. I'm not a theologian, but I'm also not a medical doctor or a psychologist. But I think that according to um, the word, is that the word says that... Um, lust begins in the mind. All right. And so I I think that women that have husbands or husbands that have wives that are engaging in, uh, pornography and masturbation, is that adultery? You know, I think that the fine line is it's not a physical adultery, but it has very similar effects on the mind. And so I think that, um, I don't know that that would be an excuse for divorce, but I think it definitely is a very serious issue that probably needs to be addressed. Um, I don't have the full, um, I don't have a full theological answer for this question, but I think that um, in situations where people are addicted to pornography, um, that premarital sex is usually much easier to engage in, but for occasionally there are people that um, have looked at or have looked at pornography or engaged in masturbation or oral sex and still maintain that they were still a, a virgin. So... Are you still a virgin? Maybe not technically, or maybe you are technically from the standpoint that you haven't had vaginal intercourse. But there's a lot of mental things that I think that you really have to um, look at, uh, spiritual and mental things that you're going through by engaging in these other behaviors. Okay, so, you know, let me give you uh, an example. Uh, These two people... They were good Adventist Christians, One, you know, they were Bible workers and they got together and so they had what I call veggie sex, you know, they basically stripped down to their underwear and they would, you know, rub up on each other until they had a sexual climax. All right, so technically, you know, they didn't have sex or intercourse, but they had sex. Do you see the difference? You know, so are you going to draw a line on certain behaviors are acceptable and certain aren't? What does God want? He's not calling us to heterosexuality. He's calling us to holiness, right? And so are those acts holy? Is it holy to look at pornography? Is it holy to masturbate? Is it holy to engage in oral sex? So whether technically you've engaged in vaginal intercourse with a partner or not, still we have to recognize that this isn't the plan that God has for each one of us and that he wants us to be holy like he is. So again, no, maybe you haven't technically crossed that line, but what you're doing isn't right either or isn't, you know, good either. And why isn't it good? Because what it does is it destroys your ability to value other people, right? And, and to value God. It disconnects. It breaks up our ability to communicate with God. And it also breaks up our ability to value other people as wholesome and, and valuable it's also some of these acts that are in this question are somewhat degrading you know that when you engage in just oral sex that that that's degrading because God didn't intend for your faces to be apart he wants you to look into your lover's face you know we were designed that way we're not like the animal kingdom we were designed to experience what true intimacy is so I think I've belabored that far enough is that okay how do you respond If someone who's a non-Christian asks, am I going to hell if I'm a homosexual or transgender, etc., what is the loving Christian response? Beautiful question. So again, if somebody's a non-Christian... And ask you if they're going to hell because they are transgendered or homosexual. I think that it's a really delicate situation. And I think that you have to make sure that the love is first and foremost. We have to be compassionate. We have to reach above and beyond the compassion of what most people have in the church. Because what I heard in the church for all the years that I was gay. Was that I was going to burn in a hotter hell than everybody else. And even if those words weren't ever spoken. That's the message that I got. And so. When somebody asks a question like that, let's say in a situation where someone's a non-Christian then they ask you, and you say, well let's look at the Word of God. What does the Word of God say about you as a homosexual or a transgender? And you know what? There are so many wonderful verses, you know, that that, um, that God loves us and that His love for us is, as um, is, is, what is it? Uh, His thoughts towards us are as, are as countless as the sands of the seashore. Like affirm to them that God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. You know, show those verses first and then talk about the fact that when you look at some of the verses that talk about homosexuality or transgenderism, what was really especially loving to me was when I really looked at them myself and I said oh God doesn't condemn the homosexual he condemns the practice and so he still loves me but he says this practice why does he condemn it because it pulls me away from not only the identity that he blessed me with through my biology, because every time my aunt would take me into the bathroom and tease my hair and make it look like a girl, what that did inside is it made me more dissatisfied with my male parts and it gave me the longing to be more feminized. What it did is it pulled me away from the gift of sexual identity that God gave me as a male and it gave me the desire to want to be more feminine. Do you see that? But God didn't hate me, he just said that the act was an abomination. That when I dressed up as a female, when I engaged in that behavior, what it did is it pulled me more away from what he intended for me to embrace. So that was the abomination to him. It's like, Mike, I gave you this as a gift, you know, not to be hated or not to be shunned, but to embrace and to, and to enjoy that. So I would make sure that you make sure that that person, even before you answer their question about transgenderism or homosexuality, make sure that they know that God loves them and that even as a homosexual, God still loves you. But he knows that this behavior is damaging and destructive for you. And because he loves you, that's why he asks you not to engage in those behaviors. Do you see the difference? I just want to bring up another point. If you, um, so many of you are really young, and so I, I wonder or question how many life experiences you've had. But in the gay community, you will never find somebody that is more hospitable than somebody that's gay. And, and if you notice in the, in, the, in the world, you know, it's your gays that are your waiters, gays that are hairdressers. They're in the, um, the hospitality industry. They work at the hotels. You know, gay people, as I was one of them, I know how to really give good service. And so we as Christians, we've got to bump up our game. We've got to be better than them you have to let them know that a Christian loving service has got to be better than that. Let me use an example. There was a um, a waiter that was gay, and he was waiting on a Christian family. And the Christian family wrote on the ticket. You know how the waiter drops a ticket at your table? And this Christian family said, we believe in Christian values. And because of your conversation, we assume that you're gay. Therefore, we're not going to tip you because we know that this is not a lifestyle that God approves of. Have a good day. Do you think that that was a good testimony of Christianity to that person? Do you see the condescension in that? It's like, if anything, you should have left them a larger tip and you should have let them know that, that you love them and that you care for them as a human being because we don't reject people because they're gay, straight, transgender, or bisexual because the Bible says that we're all sinners, that we've all come short of the glory of God, right? So, and I use the, and maybe this will come up in one of the questions, but let me use 1 Corinthians chapter 6 very clear. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 talks about all the abominations that won't be in heaven, 9 and 10. And it says, this is what won't be in heaven. It says, um, um, homosexuals and effeminate people. And you know what? I heard that message loud and clear. And, and And as being a young Christian in church culture, you know, I was devastated by that. And I thought, well, I can't help what I'm attracted to. I prayed that God would change me and he never did that. So at 20 years old, I walked out of the church never to come back. But you know what? Where were the people saying verse 11, because it said, such were some of you, but you've been washed, you've been sanctified. What does that do is that points back to the power of Jesus Christ to transform a life, but nobody was saying that, but they were telling me that I was condemned because of, of my attractions and how I saw myself but you know what? They missed the part that said the adulterer, the licentious, the fornicators, right? That's not just limited to gays. If you've ever had a sexual thought in your mind, if you've ever indulged in masturbation or pornography, you're in that list too. Here's where I think the answer is, that instead of it just being this kind of condescension, this thing like, you know, the Christian comes up to the gay person and says, oh, you poor little homosexual, you know, maybe God will have mercy on you. Instead, what would be the reaction if you said, you know what? I don't struggle with what you struggle with, but I got to struggle. And my name is right there in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, just like yours is. But God says that he has an answer for us. And if you point out verse 11, it doesn't make me better than you, but it doesn't make you better than me. We're all in this mess together, right? So wouldn't that be wonderful if our Christian principle was like, listen, Jesus has the answer and I'm looking for it too. Do you want to come with me? Do you see the difference in that? And I think that the gay community has really, you know, they heard us. You know, we've condemned gays for so long that, you know, the the gay community said, okay, well, all you've ever said to me is that I'm gay and that I can't change and I'm going to burn in a hotter hell, so why would I want your God? And therefore, I want I want the right to marry and I want the uh, ability to express myself the way that I, that I can because you say that I can't do anything different. This is what I think is amazing is that 30 years ago, and somebody said this to me. It was really funny. They said, Mike, you've really always been on the wrong side, you know, back when you were gay it wasn't popular to be gay and you were condemned but now that you've come out and now you're out of the gay life now when gay is being celebrated and and awarded now you're on the other side and you're being condemned again but here's the difference here's the difference back 30 40 years ago in first corinthians chapter 6 we we said the gays can't change and we hated them right but isn't it interesting that 50 years later now we're saying the gays can't change but god loves them what didn't change what's still the same? We still say the gays can't change. So Christians said gays couldn't change before and we hated them. Now you're saying the gays can't change and now we love them. But that's still a message from the enemy because God says in verse 11, such were some of you. And that's a message that's from the enemy. Whether you hate them or you love them in their sin, God wants to deliver us all from our sin. Isn't that right? So again, the devil's using this as a way to change our thinking. It's like, well, you could condemn them when you hated them because they couldn't change, which is a lie. And now we're loving them in the church and saying that there's no problem when you're still saying that they can't change when that's a lie. Isn't that interesting that the Christian church has taken both sides of this now? A- anyway, so I think that that's a good place to start is to just let them know how much God loves them. <clears throat> could you repeat what you said about the binary gender, and how there can be no LGBT. All right, so um, this was basically talking about uh, now we have this group. Have you ever noticed that the letters just keep building? It was LGBT, now it's LGBTQ, now it's LGBTQA, and I don't even know what letters come after that, but it'll end in XYZ. So, so, So the LGBT we know is lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender. Q for questioning. Did you know that that homosexuality is the new drug, that if you're gay, you should try straight sex, and if you're straight, you should try gay sex. They're basically trying to blur the lines and that anything goes, and the whole idea is just just do away with with any kind of identity so that we're all just sexual human beings. And it's interesting because just 50 years ago, 50 years ago, that there were only two identities in the Bible. The two identities that are in the Bible is that you're either in Christ or you serve self. Is that right? Right? Does that make sense? We either serve Jesus or we serve self. So my identity as a Christian is in Christ, not in my sexual attractions, not in how I see myself as a gender, but now because of Alfred Kinsey. Anyone heard of Alfred Kinsey? Listen, there's a movie that came out and they actually honor this guy and make him this, this um, um, hero, basically. So 50 years ago, you had Alfred Kinsey who was a, let, let, me get the, let me get the acronyms right, he was a Homosexual, pedophile, masochist. Do you know what that means? He was uh, same-sex attracted to young boys, and he was masochistic, meaning that he abused himself to um, to have sexual joy. Make sense? So he actually died. He actually died from abusing himself sexually that's what he ultimately died from but this is the guy that the united states actually funded all of his research to find out about human sexuality so basically he releases a book in the 50s and it's called i think male sexuality or something like that Uh, i forget what the name of the book was but eventually came out with one with women and he did all of these studies he basically paid fathers to molest their daughters And basically, he wanted to, in this information, he wanted to find out how long an orgasm for a child would last and how many they could actually have in a 24-hour period of time. This man abused children and paid other people to abuse children. He said in his work that a six-month-old child, a six-month-old child has 22 orgasms in a 24-hour period of time. And this is what he used as his criteria. His criteria for an orgasm was vomiting, screaming, and passing out. And he would orally and digitally stimulate this little six-month-old baby girl. you imagine that? And not only did he abuse his child by keeping it up for 24 hours, but then this is how he molested this child. And that is where we get the understanding that children are sexual. That's where you hear the voice now that we should lower the consensual age for sex because children are sexual. I was never molested as a child. I praise God for that. But whenever I've talked to other people that were molested when they were young children, it's from that moment that they started having these sexual thoughts. My colleague, Ron Woolsey, who's in his 70s, he was molested at four years old by a farmhand that worked on his father's farm. And from that moment on, can you imagine, at four years old, he could not get that molestation out of his mind, and it began this obsession with sexual thoughts at four years old. So if we instruct our children on how to have homosexual sex, Bisexual sex, transgenderism, whatever. You're putting these thoughts inside these children, in my opinion, which is abuse, sexual abuse. And you're allowing them to experience things that God knew that they weren't physically and mentally ready to experience until they become more mature. And so this is the research that Alfred Kinsey did. And this is where we get our modern ideas about sexuality and identity. Because before Alfred Kinsey, you were either in Christ or you identified with self. Either had a sinful identity or Christ's identity. Do you see the difference? And so now what's happening is now you have theologians in our own universities that are sitting there and saying that, you know what, Paul and Moses were irrelevant regarding sexuality and that their, their words should be thrown out of the Bible because they just don't matter now. Well, what changed about the Word of God between 100 years ago and today? Nothing. But what changed was our culture. And just because culture deems what morality is does not mean that it's moral or biblical. Because look at what they did to Nazi Germany. There was the law, right? To persecute and to kill all these, these Jews. And so even if it was the law, it didn't make it moral. Do you follow what I'm saying there? And so again, so, so let me go back to the question for fear that I missed it. I oh, don't see my question. Repeating what I said about the binary gender. So Okay, so here we go. So now the LGBT... But the LGB has a problem with T. Because transgenderism is basically saying that you're not female and that you're not male. That we're all basically not defined by our biology. We are now defined by what we think in our minds. So you can be whatever you want. You can be a cat, a dog. You could be a male, a female. You could be somewhere in between. There's a man actually promoting that he's called Mix. Not Miss or Mister. He wants to be called MX, Mix. Because on Tuesday it feels like dressing like a guy. But on Thursday it feels like dressing as a girl. And he believes that he is so fluid that he can go back and forth as he will. This is how crazy it is. There are now um, laws at this hospital in San Francisco, Tim uh, Riesenberger, have you heard of him, Dr. Tim? He uh, was working in the ER and they have this new form now that you can't identify a patient as male or female. And so what if the person comes in and they've got, you know, maybe they have a tumor on their ovary, but yet you can't identify them as a female and, and so therefore, can you imagine how difficult it's going to be to properly diagnose that person and to treat their issue? They could actually die or, or hemorrhage before they actually get the medical treatment if we can't just identify as our biology. Do you see how crazy things are? And so the whole idea is to do away with male and female totally. And so if you do that, then guess what? You don't have heterosexuals or homosexuals anymore. Because if I'm non-binary and if I'm not identified by my my genetics or my biology, then if I have a relationship with a woman or a man, it doesn't matter because we're genderless. So therefore, if you're genderless, then you don't have homosexuals or bisexuals or heterosexuals anymore. Do you see the conflict now? So even in LGBT, they have an issue with the T because the T does away with identity. So then You don't have that either. Interesting contradiction? I hope I explained that well. How do you strike a balance between knowing homosexuality is sinful and still showing Christ-like love? Best ways to support without condoning. What are the most effective ways to reach homosexuals with the gospel? Best ways to prevent homosexuality in our children. It's a really excellent question, and, and I have a couple of extra things to share. And, and I think for the benefit of the recording, it'll help also. Um, striking a balance between knowing homosexuality is sinful and still showing Christ-like love. And, and so how do we show support without condoning that? Amazing. There was a father that I just had a phone call with just a couple of days ago. And I'd spoken at the school where he was a student and his son is in the military and his son is in a relationship and married to a man. And so we had talked and I talked about how to show unconditional love, right? And so he said, well, I'm going to go this weekend and I'm going to see my son. And he told his son, he says, I just want to love you. I just want to be your dad. So he goes there, but his son wants to take him to the gay bars. And so here's a father who's, you know, like an elder in his church. And so even if it's a gay bar, he doesn't go to bars, right? And so the son wants to show him what his lifestyle is like and wants to introduce him to his friends. But his dad doesn't know, like, should I go to the gay bar because I want to be supportive? You know, do I ask, you know, his friends, like, how did they fall in love? How did they meet? Or is that condoning their lifestyle? Can you imagine the bombardment of questions that you would have in your mind? But let me give you an example that I think is really beautiful. There was a, uh, a couple and they had a son that was gay. And the son was getting married to his fiance. And these are actual terms now. You can't deny it. You can pretend that they don't exist. But these are the terms. And so this, this family, they decided that they were not going to go to the wedding. Because again, if you go to a wedding, <laughs> maybe many of you don't realize this, but 30 years ago when I would go to a wedding, the pastor would say, Is there anyone here that has any reason why this couple should not be wed together in holy matrimony? Let them speak now or forever hold their peace. Do you remember that? Well, they don't say that anymore because nobody wants to know and you're going to disrupt the wedding. But here's the point. When you show up at someone's wedding, your attendance at that wedding says that you support this union. Okay? So if you can't justify that in your mind, if you don't believe in that, then you have to realize that your attendance at that wedding is either a contradiction of your principles or they do, that you do believe or agree in that. So they felt that they could not be at their son's wedding. But they didn't want their son to think that he was unloved and that they didn't love his partner too. But what they did is two weeks before the wedding, they flew out to California. They spent money on their son and his fiance. They took him to dinner. They took him to some of the amusements in the area. They spent 10 days with their son and his fiance. And at the last meal before the wedding, they said, we want to make sure you know that we love you and that we love your partner. And have we demonstrated that? And they agreed. Oh, absolutely. Yes, yes. And they said, but we want to make sure that you know that we can not attend your wedding. You know, don't look for us to be there. It's not because we don't love you. It's because you know that where we stand biblically is we believe that God has something better for both of you. Right? And so guess what? They demonstrated great love, exceptional love. They made sure that they knew that it wasn't because they were cheap and they didn't have the money to spend, but they spent the money on them and showed them ways that they loved them. And at the same time, letting them know that they couldn't be at that wedding. I thought that was a great way to demonstrate, you know, the principle in the Bible that says we need to be as harmless as doves, but wise as serpents, Right. So how is it that we can can uh, demonstrate the love of Christ and not condone those behaviors? And you know what? Every situation is going to be different. You know, I had a man that came up to me, and I was at ASI, and he said to me, he said, I will never speak to my daughter again until she comes to her senses that this lifestyle is wrong. And I'm looking at this guy, and I'm going, oh. And he says, she's involved in a relationship with another woman. She's married, and they have three children. And I looked at him, and I said, sir, I said, How does not loving your daughter or speaking to your daughter show the love of Christ? And the tears were already welling up in his eyes because I could tell he loved his daughter. I could tell he missed her. And and I think that he really thought that he was holding on to the Christian principle by by not indulging that, by not even talking to her, whatever. And I said, sir, I said, there are three children involved. I said, do you think those three children chose their moms? I said, do you think those children are just as much a victim to that relationship? And I said, Who's going to show them Christ-like love? Who's going to show them what it's like to be a man? And I said, what's wrong if you were to take those children every weekend and give, you know, your daughter and her her wife a break? And what if you were to take them to church? What if you were the one that read them the stories? What if you were the one that bounced those kids on their knee and showed them what masculine love really looked like? I said, how is that losing Christian principles? And he started to cry. And I think that honestly, he really thought that the only way that he could really support God was to be cruel and unloving to his daughter until she came around and did things according to how he he saw fit. And I said, sir, I said, what if those little children would come home every weekend and start telling their moms about the love of Jesus Christ, right? I mean, what's so amazing is that we have no idea how the Holy Spirit works. And the only thing that I believe God has asked each one of us to do is to create an atmosphere, to create an environment where all people can come and find love. It's not just the gays that need to be more loved, you know, in our churches. You know, what about the stripper? What about, you know, what about the thief? What about the drug addict or the alcoholic? Isn't it our responsibility to create an environment in our churches and in our communities where people can come and find the love of Jesus Christ? And then guess what? Why don't you let the Holy Spirit do His job and bring to them conviction? Let me give you another final story. There was a, um, a young woman, a young girl, and she was doing Bible studies in her living room with, two, with this gay couple. And there were two men. And for two years, every Friday night, there they were in her living room and they would have a meal and then they'd start opening up the Word of God. And these two guys were excited about Jesus. They loved Jesus. And after two years, am I out of time? Oh, I thought you were tapping your watch. Okay, cool. Just going to have to, like, pull me out, right? So anyway, this, this, this gay couple would be at her house every Friday night. And so um, she called me, and she said, I don't know what to do. I've been doing Bible studies for two years, you know, with these guys every Friday night. I've avoided the gay issue because I just don't even want to touch it. And she said, um, she said I love them. They're like family to me. You know, we do more than just Bible studies together. We've shared, and she said, I don't want to do anything that would hurt them. But they said they're ready for, for baptism. They've been studying for two years. You know, they love Jesus. They understand the state of the dead. They, they love the Sabbath, right? They're going to church, and they said, why can't we be baptized? And she's looking at them, and of course she loves them, and they said, is it because we're gay? And, he, and one of them said, what does the Bible say about homosexuality? Well, to get out of it and to give herself a little bit of time, she said to them, she goes, can you give me a couple of weeks? Because it's really not my issue. You know, let me study it and I'll get back with you. And they go, sure, fine, no problem. So she called me and I said to her, and I believe that this came straight from the Holy Spirit because I'd never heard of a situation like this before, but I think she did everything right. I think she did everything right. She didn't focus on their sexuality. What she did is she focused on the love of Jesus. Let them know the love of Jesus. The Bible says that if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me the gays the addicts the alcoholics the 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 people that are engaging in you know premarital sex whatever that is porn masturbation if i be lifted up i will draw all men unto me and she was activating that principle and because she had learned that or they had learned about jesus christ now they were committed to jesus and they wanted to follow him with their hearts so so i said instead of you studying it and then bringing it to them i said why don't you guys just open up the word together? If the Holy Spirit's already been working in your home every Friday night, then why don't you open up the word and say, you know what, we're going to discover it together. Let's let the Holy Spirit guide us, right? And she did just that. And as she opened up Leviticus, chapter 16 and 23, as she opened up first, uh, the first chapter of Romans, and then 1 Corinthians, chapter 6, and even in Jude, every time that they got to homosexuality in the Bible they both said oh my oh my and they were under conviction doesn't that make sense isn't that beautiful isn't that how we love people and yet not condone certain behaviors right show them who jesus is let the holy spirit do his job i i think it's beautiful i think that god you know he doesn't expect us to have a protocol well it's a protocol for the gay and this is the protocol for the transgender and this is the protocol for the alcoholic and this is the protocol for the liar it's all the same right Anyway, I hope I answered that well. How could a parent preserve his children from getting into thoughts and behaviors that are not blessed by God? Let me start with just that question. It it goes on. It says, what are alarming signs of going in the wrong direction? Okay. How could a parent prevent his children from getting into thoughts and behaviors that are not blessed by God? I I think that um, Ellen White is very clear. She says that the best the the best example, no, 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 that the best way to show people Jesus Christ is by living a Christian life, right? Do you remember the quote that I'm talking about? It's very simple. It basically says, if you want to be a good impression on somebody, be a, a kind and loving Christian, is basically what she says. So, so let me elaborate on that just a little bit more. Uh, a lot of times we tend to be Um, the type of person that we say, well, you know, I have a, a neighbor that's gay, you know, and I invited them for dinner and I had the Bible at the end of the table. And as soon as dinner was over before dessert, I started to take out the word of God. And I told them that, you know, that their life was an abomination and blah, 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 blah. You know, is that Christian? No, of course it isn't because, you know, you're just whacking people over the head with the truth. Is it truth? Yes. But was it done with the Holy Spirit's guidance? Of course not. And, and I think a lot of times what we do is we go through our checklist and like, well, I did this and I did this and I did this and I did this and I did this. You know, I don't know why they're not converted. I, I had a pastor say to a friend of mine who I was really, you know, I, I, I was really, my heart was breaking and it was this couple. And the pastor goes over and he gives them all the verses on the Sabbath and they can't argue with him. And the pastor looked at him and says, all right, so you're going to get baptized? And they're like, wait, wait, wait. He said, well, I just proved it to you. Saturday was the Sabbath. You know that. Why wouldn't you get baptized? And you know what? I was so offended by that because you know what? God doesn't force me or drag me. And even if I know that it's truth, it takes time to assimilate that information, doesn't it? It takes time. It takes relationship. And you know what? It's amazing because we live in such a microwave world. We think that if I tell you the, 20, you know, what, what is it, the 23 fundamentals of the church that you know, you'll get baptized and everything will be fine. And I think that we do a disservice to people that when they do get baptized, they come up out of the water and we say, okay, be on your way. But really when you stop and think about it, the moment that you were baptized, God didn't wash away your history and your memory and all your issues. But wasn't that really just the beginning of your walk with Jesus Christ? Wasn't that when you really needed the support of the church and your friends that were there for you? And I think that that's also what we have to be mindful of. And especially from a parent's perspective, the best way is through example. What is it? She says through precept and example. And I think what's really difficult is that um, I have people um, call me and they say, my son is real effeminate. And now he's identifying as a girl and he's four years old. What can I do? And I think back to my own time. Hi. I think back to my own example. And I remember that my dad tried to butch me up. My dad would take me out shooting guns. He was a cop. He was a policeman. So, you know, he'd take me to shooting guns. But I didn't want to shoot guns. They were loud. They were aggressive. And and what that did is that pushed me even further away from identifying with my dad. Well, then he took me to attack training German shepherd classes, right? And here I am. I'm six years old. I didn't want to see the German shepherds attack and try to maul these people. I wanted to pet them. So my dad really did nothing more than push me even further out of masculinity into that identity. But imagine the power that my dad could have had if he just would have laid down on the carpet with me and colored in my coloring book. I needed to know that masculinity was available and acceptable and attractive. And you know what? My dad trying to force me into masculine behaviors by you know, playing football or, or these other things that didn't appeal to that little kid. You've got to get on that little kid's level. Ellen White says in Ministry of Healing on page 143 that Christ's method alone brought lasting results. Guess what? You want that? There's a formula. God gives you the formula. If you practice it, hold him accountable, right? The first thing he did is he met people where they were. Jesus got down on the ground with me and started coloring in my coloring book. He knew that there were other areas that I couldn't even relate to, but what he did do is he related to where I was at. And if you don't know where your kids are at, ask him. Ask the Holy Spirit, because he knows exactly where your kids are. Ask the Holy Spirit, how can I relate to my son or my daughter? Ask the Holy Spirit, what would reach them? How can I do this? And many times, the Holy Spirit tells me to keep my mouth shut. He says, demonstrate my love for them. Quit preaching at them. Quit harping on them and love them invest in them let them know because what was happening for me is this disconnect with my dad because number one he really had a sexual addiction going on and he didn't have a lot of time for me or my sisters and the little bit of time that he gave me was critical it was judgmental and i felt that there was no way i could ever attain to his level for a father or a mother to apologize to their kid is really powerful because what it does is it lets me know that you're human and it lets me know that you're on the same path that I am and that you can relate to my struggle. But when you have a parent that's, that's over you, that they never do anything wrong and they never have to apologize for anything that they do, then what happens is I start to get this message that either you're a fake and a fraud or that I can never attain to that level. I think what's most beautiful for a parent is to let their humanity show like I have a friend, and she was a drug addict, and she was sexually active, and she had two daughters. And, you know, she, she tried to keep that from them. She never wanted them to know what her life was like before. And unfortunately, both of her daughters became the same as she was. But she never shared with them what she came from. Do you see the value that it would have had that as a parent if she would have said, I had this struggle, but Jesus gave me something better. I had that struggle. And you don't have to give them the details, but to let them know that you're human and that you know what they're struggling with, right? So to, instead of pretending like it never happened or that you don't know how to relate to someone in that position, I think what you have to do is create um, relationships. And, and I have an excellent example that just popped in my head, and this was really funny. It's funny, but it's, it's beautiful. And and I was laughing and crying at the same time, if you can imagine that. This woman, we were speaking to the pastor's wives. We got invited to do a Q&A with the pastor's wife. Uh, I won't tell you what conference in case you know her. So anyway, this lady comes up, and she looks like Rebecca of Donnybrook Farm. She's got, you know, her hair pulled back in this, in this ponytail with this big flower around it. We haven't done that since the 90s. But anyway, she was wearing a, a, a denim jumper or whatever, and she had this big smile all over her face. And she's looking at a sexually broken people, and she says, Oh, I'm so glad that you came, you know, and thank you for your questions or whatever. And she said, I really identify with everything you were saying. And I'm looking at her. And I'm with another colleague, and we're just looking at her and say, lady, you don't have a clue, right? That your life was just all perfect, and you don't even know what it's like to be us. But she started to share what her story was. And, and, and this was her story. She said, um, when I was a little girl, I was obsessed with wanting to see a man naked. Okay, that's a little revealing, right, for a pastor's wife to say to you. And she would go up to her mother, and she said, mother, I wanna see a naked man. And the mother didn't shame her or even you know shut her down. And she goes, well, I don't really have a naked man. Guess we could ask your father, and she'd say, "Oh no, I don't want to see father." And so mother honestly just answered a question, and she said, "Well, men are hairier than women; they're bigger, they have more muscles, right?" And what she did is she gave her daughter enough information to satisfy her curiosity. She didn't, you know, she didn't shame her for asking that question. It was a legitimate question, and so what she did is she created a relationship, and and, and her daughter knew that she could come and get the truth any parent that'll sit there and lie to their children and say the sex doesn't feel good or isn't this or isn't that and lie about it then what you've done is you've actually given the enemy a point because Jesus doesn't lie there was no guile in his mouth there was no deception and so this mother told her daughter the truth enough truth to give her the satisfaction of what she was going for without instructing her on how to sin right are you following me So then a couple of years later, they're at this house, and they're cleaning out this house. And and they're in the house, and so she's the oldest one of her siblings. And so she opens up this closet door, and wouldn't you know it, there is a centerfold from Playgirl magazine of a lumberjack leaning against a tree with an axe, and he's butt naked. And so she rips down that poster because she doesn't want her brothers and sisters to see it. She hides it. Who do you think she took it to? She went to her mother. Look, mother, a naked man. I mean, can you imagine going to your mother and just showing her this poster? <laughs> I, right, right, right? You're getting that same image? But she went to her mother because she trusted her mother and her mother. She knew that her mother wouldn't shame her and that she could get an honest answer. And then as she's showing her mother this, this poster of this naked man, the mother says, well, you've always wanted to see a naked man. There he is. And so after they checked out the genetic makeup of this man or whatever, she said, see, he's hairier than than we are. Look, he's got more muscles than we do. But then she did the most miraculous thing. She says, but look at his face. She says, what's he doing? Well, he's smiling, mother. She said, what do you think he's smiling about? Well, I don't know, mother. Do you think he loves Jesus? I don't know. Do you think he's married? Do you think he holds a door open for his wife? What she did is she established exactly what the curiosity was about the physical stature of this man, but then she made it spiritual. She brought it right back to his heart and to his mind. And what was amazing is then I started crying because I thought to myself, wow, if I could have gone to my mother or my father and got a legitimate, honest answer about the questions going on inside of my mind instead of thinking that I had to hold on to all these these, these secrets and, and, and questions in my mind, if I had a legitimate person that I could go to that wouldn't shame me, that I could trust to get an honest and a spiritual answer from, my life might have been totally different. Do you see the beauty in that? And so with our children, I think the best that you can do is to bathe everything in prayer. Bathe everything in prayer. The way you feed them, the way you dress them, why you feed them, why you dress them that way, letting them know. And somebody said something really interesting to me. They said, as a parent, Many parents come to us and they say, my son is gay or my daughter's a lesbian or they're transgender or they're bisexual or they're polyamorous. And, and they feel guilty. They, they feel like, what did I do wrong? And that's usually the first question out of their mouth. What did I do? What did I do? Did I make them that way? The guilt and the condemnation. They can't even share it with their, with their family members, let alone their church family, for fear that you know, they're going to say, oh, it's all your fault and you did this and you did this. There are issues in every family. No family is without family dysfunction. We live in a world of 6,000 years of degenerated sin. You think there's going to be one family without any dysfunction? I doubt it. But here's the beauty of that, is that even in the most perfect environment, even in heaven, guess what? Lucifer chose to sin. He had a perfect father. He lived in a perfect environment. He had a perfect home. And yet still, even God himself couldn't keep sin from happening. And so it helps parents to know that, you know what, we're all fallen human beings. Yes, there might be some things that help to influence us or whatever, but I guarantee you that if you commit your way to the Lord, that God is the one that can make a difference in our families. He's the one that can set bad things right. And even if it had nothing to do with you, that he's also the one that can show you how to interact and how to help retrain and re-guide your children. So... There's a man that, um, that called me, and his son was um, very effeminate, and he started identifying as the girl. And here's a father, and he's saying, I don't know what to do. And I started to ask him a few questions. I said, do you spend much time with your son? And he said, no, I get home pretty late. You know, By the time I get home, my wife has already bathed my son and fed him, You know, and, and, and you know, I get home, I'm kind of tired. I don't have much energy to really play with my son. And I said, okay. And I really identified with that because that was very similar to my upbringing. And so now her, his son is starting to say that he's, that he's a girl and not a boy. And he identifies with mommy and not with daddy. And so I pointed out to him, I said, you know something? I said, he really does, doesn't identify with you. And I said, it's not a gay thing. I said, it doesn't make your son gay because he's effeminate, and I hope you'll remember that. Just because you see somebody who's effeminate doesn't mean that they're gay. It just means that during that developmental time, they didn't really have a masculine role model that they identified with or had access to. So my dad was gone a lot of times, and I was surrounded by three sisters and my mother. And so what happens is you're born with wet cement. You have no identity. You have no form. You don't know that you're a girl or a boy until the ages of like one and three. But then between one and three, little boys like to wear baseball caps like their dad and little girls like to wear dresses like their mom. What that means is that this cement is starting to take shape. It's starting to harden in the same-sex parent. So little boys start to realize that, oh, I'm not like mom, I'm like dad. And so little boys start to imitate the dad and that cement starts to harden in the masculine. And then the same thing for girls. If there wasn't a male male, role model at home, then doesn't it make sense that that boy might have some effeminate mannerisms because the cement hardened in the feminine. I still have effeminate mannerisms, but it's not because I was gay or that I am gay or whatever that was. It's because I didn't identify with my father. I identified with my mother and I wanted to walk like her and talk like her. So once that stuff is cemented in cement, guess what? It's very difficult to change. That will follow me for the rest of my life. Well, I can minimize some of the overt things that I did as a homosexual, but some of those mannerisms are there to stay. So just because a kid starts off that way doesn't mean that they have to stay that way. So I advised this father, I said, start investing in your son. You be in charge of his evening care. You be in charge of the playtime. You be in charge of the worship before your son goes to sleep. And you know what was so beautiful is in six months, he called me again, and I asked him how things were going, and he admitted to me, he said, my son has a personality that I really don't enjoy. He said, I find it really difficult to spend time with my son, but I took your advice and I started investing in more time. And he said this to me, he said, you know what was amazing? I said, what? And he said, the more time I spent with my son, the more I started to love him. Wasn't that honest for the father to even admit that he had a child that he didn't like his child's personality? But what was so beautiful is when he started to act on the principle because he was the parent and that was his son. And his son was struggling with an identity issue because his father didn't make him available to himself. But as he did, the father started to love that son more and appreciate his personality. And then what started to happen is they started to play games where they would play hide and seek. And the little boy would start to say, come on, dad, let's hide from mom. Do you see how subtle that is? Do you see how beautiful that is? That instead of the boy identifying with the mom, just as the father spending time with him and investing in his son, he started to identify with the dad more. Come on, dad, we're guys. Let's hide from mom. Do you see the beautiful transition that started to happen? And who was in charge of that? The father was. Yeah. Anyway, isn't that beautiful? So what are alarming signs of Giving the wrong direction, and um, and and I think that even even as Christian parents, at a lot of times, um, if we're not actively investing in our kids, and I think prayerful first, I think that's one of the worst things that you can do. If you're not actually bathing your children in prayer and asking the Lord how to parent, then you're really even in your best efforts, you're not going to be able to meet their needs because you don't know necessarily what their needs are, right? And we do it wrong. Can we just accept the fact that as parents you do it wrong? Can't help it. But God still entrusted you and gave you tools to really at least make the difference when you do something wrong. But also he'll help you to do things right more often than you do things wrong. If you're connecting with him before you do your parenting. Okay. Look, I'm an ex-gay who's 59 years old who's never been married. I I don't know how to give you parenting lessons. What was the most powerful factor that helped you get out of homosexuality? Ah, God's persistence. Honestly, honestly, honestly. And, you know, um, I I hear these wonderful, miraculous stories of people that, you know, they just give their heart to the Lord and they never struggle with it again. (laughs) I wish. I really wish. I'm not married. I still have same-sex attraction, but what I've learned in the 20 years I've been walking with Jesus Christ is that the the homosexuality is really minimal now because I know where it came from. I know that the reasons why I ended up same-sex attracted was because I felt inadequate as a male because I was transgendered before I was in puberty. Then when puberty hit, the sex that is the mystery becomes the attraction. I was surrounded by femininity. I rejected my dad. The boys in school to call me sissy, queer, and fag. So guess what? When puberty came, the sex that was a mystery for me wasn't women. It was men. It was my own. That became a sexual attraction for me. As I reinforced that through masturbation and fantasy, and then at 20 years old coming out into the gay culture, Every time that I sexually acted out with men, I was imprinting that identity on myself even more and more. So guess what? After 20 years of living as an active homosexual, sexual addict, acting out three or four times a week, guess what's really difficult to get rid of? When I got baptized and came up out of that watery grave, God did not take away my history or my memory. And so that's still there. And the devil taunts me with that constantly. But what I've learned in the process, and I had to fall a lot before I got up, is a matter of fact, I was baptized with a boyfriend and a sexual addiction. And so when I came up out of the water, I wasn't straight, ready to date, mate, and procreate. But as I began that process with Jesus Christ, He was more committed to me than I was to Him. I was desperate to prove that God was going to love me and my boyfriend, and if God would just convert my Jewish boyfriend, we would be this mighty team for Jesus. But you know what? God had other plans. And as I was walking with Jesus and experiencing Him, I had a great boyfriend who was a millionaire with big blue eyes and big arms. We both had convertible Mercedes. We opened up this hair salon. I was making a quarter of a million dollars every year. And yet, how is it that the love of God would be so compelling that I would rather have Him than this really great boyfriend? And you know something? That didn't come all of a sudden at once. But because Jesus was more faithful to me than I was to Him, I recognized that after a while, I couldn't live without that love. And then when it came down to reading the Bible, and the Lord said, Mike, you've got to make a decision. You want him or do you want me? And you know what? I'd like to say that it was easy like a, uh, like a flip of a switch on the wall, but it wasn't. And I cried and I agonized. And I said, Lord, Lord if you want me out of that relationship, you're going to have to do it yourself because I'm going to dig in my heels. I'm going to prove to you that I can be faithful to this man. And if you would bless us, we would work for you. And God said, I'll get right on that. And within a few weeks, my boyfriend broke up with me. And at that moment, when my boyfriend broke up with me, there was this peace that came over me. Because he said, you know what, Mike? He said, you know, the relationship isn't really going in the direction I thought it would. And he said, I need a break. And I knew that that was God speaking. Because I couldn't break up with him. But I went home and I was still alone. I wasn't straight. And here I am alone. And I just gave up the best thing that ever happened to me. And I started to cry. And I said, why, God? Why? It's the best person that ever came into my life. It was someone that loved me that I loved. Why would you ask me to give up something that was so good? And as I cried and as I sobbed, it was Jesus that was holding me. It was Jesus that was loving me. And even though I saw nothing in my future that would ever give me the opportunity to hold somebody in my arms or to be loved by them, he was loving me. And for the first time in my life, I started to experience the intimacy that my sexual life had denied me of. And as I was being bathed in that kind of love, I pursue it, I seek it to this day. I can't believe that it's been 17 years that I haven't had a sexual relationship with anyone. I can't believe it because I couldn't even go a week without a sexual conquest. And how is it that the love of Jesus is better and the peace that he provides better than getting laid or having a sexual situation with someone? I still can't explain it, but I'm experiencing that. And it didn't come as an event. Wouldn't that be nice if you just got whacked over the head with the straight thing and then, you know, like a magic wand, and boom, everything's okay. But what I think is more important to God is that he wants relationship. What he wants more than anything else, because he could just take it away from my convenience, you know, it'd all be said and done. But what he wants is he wants me to strive for him. He wants me to be as committed to him as he is to me. And in that process, guess what? He won't take away my right to choose. And you know what? With that choice came consequences I remember one time it had been several years that I'd given my heart to the Lord I live out in the country of Tennessee and you know I live in the Smoky Mountains I lived in Orlando Florida I lived lived in a gay neighborhood I live within two miles of five gay bars you know that was my life so now here I am in the country it was after church I'm still in my 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 Sabbath clothes and I took my friend to a store after Sabbath they had no bathroom. I had to go. So I got in my car. I went to the first place that had, a, had a, a bathroom, and it happened to be a bar. Sorry, I didn't realize it. But I walk into this bar, and I hear the music, and I see the disco lights going, and I can smell the alcohol, and I can smell the cigarettes. And in my 20s and 30s, I spent three nights a week in a bar. That was where I hooked up sexually with people. That's where I communed with other people like me. That's where I had a lot of fun. In the five minutes that I was in that bar, seven years after I'd become an Adventist Christian, Five minutes, went to the bathroom, came back out, got my car, dropped off my friend at her house, and now I'm driving home into my lonely little log cabin in the Smoky Mountains. And all of a sudden, the devil is using all of my senses and bringing all of that back to me. And I thought to myself, what am I doing? It's 930 on a Saturday night. Why am I going to this lonely cabin out in the woods when I could be going down to the the big city and getting laid and having a sexual relationship? And just because I saw the lights in that bar, smelled the alcohol and the cigarettes and heard the music, the devil was using all of those senses that had triggered me in my 20s and 30s. God did not take away my history and my memory. And as I was in my mind, I started the struggle. And as I'm starting the struggle inside my mind, I said, Lord, what's going on? And Jesus said, Mike, if you want that, You can have it. That's what you want. If you want to drive into the city and pick somebody up and get laid, you can have that. But in Isaiah one eighteen, it says, come and let us reason together. Isn't that right? He's not going to insult your intelligence and he's not going to take it out of your hand for your convenience. But he will respect your right to choose. And if you choose to give it to him, he'll take it. You want to give up pornography? You want to give up masturbation or premarital sex? If you give it to him, it's 100%. It works every time. But he will not take away your right to choose. And that's why we struggle. And even if we struggle in fall, he's still invested in it. And he's willing to take you, First John 1, 9, if you'll just confess what you've done, not only is he faithful and just to forgive you sins, but to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And that's what he did that night for me on the road. And he said, Mike, haven't I helped you? Didn't I deliver you from your relationship? Didn't I deliver you from a house that was two miles from five gay bars? Didn't I get you debt-free? Didn't I deliver you from the sexual addiction? And he just started giving me this list. Didn't I? Didn't I? Didn't I? Didn't I? And that night when I drove into my little driveway of my little log cabin, 12 miles out from the city, it was like, you're right, God. This is good. This is what I choose. And it was my choice that night. Do you see how beautiful that is? It's got to be your decision. He's not going to drag you into heaven kicking and screaming. But there's a process to that. And we have to learn that process as a parent or even as a child of God that we still have to remember that he's not gonna necessarily take it away for your convenience. You might have to struggle with this thing, but the victory is always there. And that was the process that I had to learn. When I got baptized, I did not wanna give up my homosexuality or my sexual addiction. But as I learned of Christ, then eventually the things that he loved, I started to love. And the things that he hated, I started to hate. Oh, cool, last question. Do you agree with the rights given to the LGBT plus community? Wow, great question. I don't even know if we've ever even had this question. And it's been like nine years. And I think that I've answered every question that there could possibly be. (laughs) I agree with some of the rights of the LGBT community. And and again, coming from my perspective as somebody that was prejudiced and and was judged according to that um, and being denied rights as a human being. I think that every human being should have equal rights. Unfortunately, that's not the case with the LGBT movement. The LGBT movement is not only here to to get equal rights, they want your rights. And now you're starting to see this reversal that now what's happening is the Christian community is the one that's being hunted and, and being stripped away of their rights. Part of it is basically based on the way that we treated gays for a long time, and guess what, we've earned it. We have a reputation of being haters and judges, And unfortunately now what's happening is everything is switching because we know that the devil has an agenda. If you're a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, if you've read the great controversy, guess what? It's not gonna go away. And we are going to be the hunted. But I do believe that there are rights that the gay community should have that we've enjoyed. Um, The Bible is very clear about, um, what is it? Church and state should not be connected, right? So if the church should not have the influence in the state legislation, then why is it that straight couples would only be able to enjoy the benefits of political rights? Does that make sense? If we're all human beings, then shouldn't everybody have that right? But I believe that the government provided that. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org